bogus betas, an open SSL bug, and a truly breathtaking breach. All that and more on the Naked Security Podcast. Welcome to the podcast, everybody. Let's see if I remember how to do this. I am Doug Armuth. He is Paul Ducklin. Remember that Armuth, and remember that it starts with the letter A twice. Yes. That, that will... will become mildly important later on. <laughs> okay, we will get to that. It is tied to our fun fact this week. The fun fact is that the Simpsons theme song was loosely inspired, in part, by a wonderfully bizarre ad concept for Remington Electric Razors, performed by Frank Zappa and Linda Ronstadt. And I urge you to search YouTube for Remington Electric Razor, and you can thank me or curse me later. That is the third weirdest thing I've ever heard, Doug. (laughs) Frank Zappa plus Linda Ronstadt advertising Remington Razors. Yep. And it's true. It's real. Yeah. And apparently they paid him $1,000 for the concept, and they never, he never heard back from them. Hopefully no one invents something called YouTube and this makes it on there. Anywho, um, we have some, a bit of uh, semi-breaking news here. There's some Okta activity. Yes. Okta, O-K-T-A, uh, is pretty well known as essentially as a 2FA company. So, you know, you've got your username, you've got your password, and then you want to add to your service something that maybe sends SMSs or does those magic codes via an app or some other token-based way of proving that you are who you are. Okta is a company that provides just such a service to a wide range of users and companies out there and sadly they seem to have had a run-in with that lapsus dollar group that chester and i spoke about while you were away doug uh, and lapsus the last time we spoke about them they'd been they'd been blackmailing nvidia if you remember they they claimed to have breached nvidia got all this data but either they didn't want money this time or NVIDIA just said, get lost, we're not paying. So they said, hey, open up your graphics cards to crypto mining or else. Like the weirdest ransomware demand you've ever heard. <laughs> anyway, now they've suddenly apparently decided, oh, look, we were messing around inside Octus Systems back in January. Like, ha, ha, ha. What are you going to do about that? So that's put the cat among the pigeons a little bit. And so we just thought we'd mention that because some Sophos customers have been asking. Now, uh, Sophos products like Sophos Central will provide you with 2FA if you don't have one of your own, because we actually require to use 2FA these days, username, password, and the code. But that doesn't come from Okta. However, if you're already an Okta user, you can kind of bring your own and hook the Sophos products into it. Not many people do, from what I've heard, but some do. And if you're in that position, contact Okta for more information. So it does sound like this Lapsus Dollar team have again created this fear, uncertainty and doubt uh, by just revealing, hey, look what we've been doing. All right. We will keep an eye on that. And uh, let's move on to our first story here, which has a little something for everyone. It's got some scams. It's got some crypto. And it's got some Apple. I assume, Douglas, that you are talking about a 
malware gang slash brand slash variant slash theme that we first wrote about sophos labs first wrote about last year called crypto rom i am which is a it started life as a curious blend of and this sounds weird but you can see why it the crooks would go for it it's a curious blend of a romance scam where the crooks kind of hook up with you via a dating site and a cryptocurrency ripoff so they kind of use the dating site as a way not of going hey i want you to fall in love with me but as a way of going hey i'm here to meet new people well oh by the way you you look friendly are you interested in making loads of money out of cryptocurrency you can see why the same approach that would work with a romance scam to draw someone in to trust you thinking that you're going to be their life's partner you can see how that might work if you've got someone who goes not interested in this person romantically but golly if i can get it on the ground floor of the next big bitcoin thing and i can be that guy who spent what was it 10 thousand bitcoins <laughs> on two pizzas back uh, in the day yeah if i can be that person but i don't buy the pizzas well yeah i'm prepared to listen to what you've got to say so sophos labs uh, in particular one of our researchers uh, jagadish revisited this whole crypto rom cryptocurrency scheme because the difference between these and a typical romance scam where it's a a person to person fake relationship is that here it's a it's a, a friendship or a trust relationship that builds up and then the other party talks you into installing an app and because you know well it's cryptocurrency you're getting on the ground floor this isn't for everybody it's like you have to get an invitation you know it all sounds a little bit terrific you can't just go to the app store or google play and get this app basically there's a special way in and we all know that on Google Play, you can there's a little slider you can slide that says, yeah, I want to allow off-market apps. On an iPhone, you can't. But these crooks have found a way to exploit Apple test-oriented beta program systems where you're, you're testing out the not-quite-final version of your program. If you can talk someone into trusting you, then you can kind of co-opt them into your, I'm making big air quotes, development program. And you could give them the beta version of the product, which has fewer checks on it than an mm. app store mm. app does. It kind of feels like, well, it's like brand new. So I must be in, I'm, I'm in the pound seats. I'm an early adopter. I'm one of the cool guys. And it somehow feels like it, it's still got Apple's imprimatur because it's essentially an Apple service called Test Flight that you can use with your beta product. The product only lasts for 90 days because it's assumed you'll replace it. There are all sorts of limitations. You have to persuade the user into downloading the special Apple app first that will track what's going on. So usually it would only be someone you really, really trusted a lot for an app that you were interested in helping to develop, maybe you even on the development team. But these crooks are using the dating site to build your trust, then saying, hey, don't just join when everyone else does join in early stick in some money you'll be rich and then of course once you're in then the app feeds you all kinds of bogus information this is how well your 
This is how well your investment's doing. Look, you've you've got earned interest, you've got payments, you've got all this extra stuff. Your investment's doing really well. Why don't you put in more money? Why don't you, we'll help you bring in your buddies if you've got some really close friends. Why don't you bring them in as well? And would you, you know, hey, we've got a bonus. Why don't you withdraw it? And of course, if you put in $2,000 and they say, look, we're giving you a $120 bonus, you can withdraw it. Well, you're not with, you're withdrawing your own money. <laughs> You've got to think of it that way. And mm-hmm. all of the rest, well, as I like to think of it, it's smoke and mirrors, Doug, but it doesn't even have mirrors. It's just all an absolute pack of lies crafted in this app that would never pass regular app store vetting because it's just obviously so bogus. But because it's still under development, well, Apple will let it through. And there's this app that presents you with this glorious and ever-growing picture of your investment. And then when it comes, when you do want to get the money out, suddenly it's a lot harder than you thought. And it seems that there are two, there are two approaches that the crooks take in these cases. One is they go, okay, reluctantly, we'll let you take the money out, but you're being a bit of an idiot because there's like, there's this big event coming that basically if you're really sensible, you'll leave all your money. And in fact, you'll even put more in because between you and me, there's this huge thing about to happen. So that convinces some people to go all in on top of their all in bet. Or they go, oh, no, sorry, there's a <laughs> there's a withdrawal tax. It's not us. It's the government. We have to take off 25%. And if you balk at that, then they just cut you dead and they take it all. So there's a whole lot of, I don't know what you would call it, like sort of sociological tricks that the crooks can build into this because remember you you know you met them on a dating site now you weren't maybe you weren't interested in the romance side of it but you found they were worth talking to and they've lured you into this investment you've put into some some money and as far as you can see your investment is going up in a way that kind of looks legitimate it's just 100 percent bogus Okay, and we've got some advice for what people should look out for, starting with take your time when dating site talk turns from friendship to money. Yes, that's our first advice for any potential scam, whether it's someone luring you into a romantic relationship where they are not interested in you, they are interested only in your wallet, or something like this where they're not interested in romance and they might be quite open about it, but they, hey, we do have something in common and I do I have a plan for you. When money comes up for the first time, ask yourself, is this what I went on the dating site for? <laughs> Probably not. Okay, and another good one. Don't give administrative control over your phone to someone with no genuine reason to have it. Yes, and there are two sides to that. Uh, one side is the previous trick that the crypto ROM scammers were using. I presume they may have switched because perhaps Apple have made it a bit more difficult for them to abuse this, was a thing called enterprise enrollment, which is a special way that you can install non-App Store apps, but they're only supposed to be company apps that will not be available to anybody else. And for those to work, basically, it has to be a company phone. And that means that essentially, either the company will have set up the phone they give you with this what's called mobile device management profile installed, or they will require you to install it. And it's basically saying you're giving us the right to control your phone. So 
to give you an idea of how much you have to trust the other person, if you've enrolled your phone with mobile device management, an Apple phone, Google phone, similar idea, the person at the other end can wipe your phone at a moment's notice without asking you. And that is not a bug, it's a feature. It's in case you lose your phone, you can call them up and say, wipe my phone, I've no idea where it is, and they'll go in and do it for you. Or if you leave the company, perhaps even under a cloud, they can wipe your phone even if you try and run away with it. So, uh, and it's exactly the same with test flight, which is a sort of the, the, the second part to this tip. What you're doing when you're installing test flight, it's not quite the same as the mobile device management, but what you're saying is, here is an app that doesn't even exist yet, that's still in development, and I'm going to let someone develop and practice with their unfinished, incomplete not fully tested app on my phone. By golly, you better trust them a lot. You better do your due diligence to make sure you're talking to a legitimate company that has a good track record in how it looks after customer data, particularly at the beginning of a new project when, you know, the security features aren't finished yet. And then we rounded out with a couple of pieces of advice about, uh, uh, the app itself and friends and family. So don't be deceived by messaging inside the app itself and listen to your friends and family if they try to warn you. Absolutely. Uh, we have seen this particularly with romance scams. Also heard of this with investment scams. If the crooks think that you are on the cusp of being talked out of it by your friends and family who are worried about the fact that golly, suddenly you're spending a lot of money with someone that you really don't know, the crooks will probably try and poison you against your family. Just say, no, 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 don't listen to them. If it's love, they'll say, oh, they, they're just jealous that you found your life's true partner. We spoke about somebody who was commented on Naked Security about how his mum had got sucked down that rabbit hole and wouldn't listen to him and the same with investments you know just saying look don't tell them like you're in at the beginning like of course they of course they don't want you involved because they don't want you getting rich and when they haven't got the chance so if your friends and family try and warn you at least give them a fair hearing because if you're going to show them the hand it may be the scammer themselves who has convinced you not to listen to somebody you probably can trust. All right, that is Beware Bogus Betas. Crypto coin scammers abuse Apple's test flight system, and that is on nakedsecurity.sophos.com. And let us now talk about this interesting open SSL bug that went loop-de-loop-de-loop-de-loop. Yes, quite a fascinating story. Fortunately, it wasn't a show-stopping remote code execution bug. So it wasn't something where somebody could lure you to a website and then when they sent you their cryptographic certificate, it would crash your browser, implant malware and own all your files. Um, but it could trigger a denial of service attack whereby a crook who couldn't get, couldn't find a certificate to steal to let them pretend to be running a legit website could nevertheless set up a website that when you went there with your browser... If your browser did the right thing and tried to validate their web certificate, their TLS certificate, it will get stuck in an infinite loop. And of course, if you go back to the site, then that could happen again and again and again until eventually your computer is bogged down by a very esoteric 
quite hard to spot floor way deep down inside a special purpose routine inside open ssl's big number routines those are mathematical routines that let you deal with numbers way bigger than 32 or 64 bits thus bn big num and to do with extracting modular square roots doug now we won't explain what modular square roots are fascinating though they are to anyone who's interested in mathematics and cryptography i will take your word for it it's the kind of thing that when you look at the code the code is called bn big number underscore mod underscore underscore squirt sqrt the normal abbreviation for square root and there's a whole bit at the start where it goes oh well calculate this number called e well if an e will be one two three or more and if e is one that's the easy case if e is two that's the nearly easy case if e is three or more then we need to use this super special algorithm called tonelli shanks it was actually first discovered in the 19th century it's a way of extracting these modular square roots and so what follows is this complicated looking algorithm where you think you know what that either works or it doesn't. It's easy enough to test. You just feed it a whole load of sample data. and It either gets all the sums right or it gets some of them wrong. We'll just leave it alone. <laughs> We're not going to meddle with that bit. Because, you know, how could, a, how could a square root, calculating one lousy little square root, how could that affect validating a digital certificate? And it turns out that for some cryptographic algorithms, uh, elliptic curve, cryptography there is a need to to use this square root routine and with the with the with the right unusual unnaturally pre-prepared crafted input you could get this routine to go on running forever and ever Alrighty, that is open ssl patches infinite loop denial of service bug in certificate verification and that's on nakedsecurity.sophos.com. And it is time in the show for This Week in Tech History. Well, we talked about the Simpsons earlier in the show, and perhaps apropos of nothing, this week in March 1999, the world felt the wrath of the Melissa virus. Doug, I did not pick that out from the Simpsons, but I have a sneaking suspicion, because I remember the Melissa virus, that I know what the connection with the Simpsons is. Does it have anything to do? with 50 points in Scrabble. <laughs> it does indeed. It does ah! indeed. Very good. Quidjibo? Is Quidgibo. it Quidjibo? K-W-I-J-I-B-O. How you say it. <laughs> yeah, Quidjibo. K-W-I-J-I-B-O. Because he puts down those letters, doesn't he? I'm not a Simpsons fan, but he puts down those letters and go, Quidjibo, 50 points, I'm out or something. Yeah, he wants to stop playing the game, so he uh, makes up a word to, to uh, basically destroy the board. Uh, and that's that was the world was uh, fell in love with Bart Simpson right there. So the Melissa virus itself was a mass mailing macro virus targeting Microsoft Word and Outlook users. The message emailed itself along with a poisoned Word document to the first 50 people in the victim's Outlook contact list, while at the same time disabling protective features of both programs. Now, for the Simpsons connection, the virus writer called himself Quijibo, a nod to a tense family game. Of Scrabble in season one, episode two, in which Bart plays the word, insisting it's real. And thanks to the Quijibo credit and other identifiers, the Melissa virus, along with two others, was eventually connected to David L. Smith of New Jersey, who spent 20 months in federal prison and paid a $5,000 fine, despite being accused of causing around $80 million worth of damage. The most interesting thing about 
the Melissa virus is, I suppose, what you might call the law of unintended consequences. And clearly, the author wanted it to spread as aggressively as possible, so but not to hang up sending emails to 50,000 people if you had the world's largest address book. And so, like you said, it was the first, it was the first 50, wasn't it? took the first 50 entries. So if you were Doug Armuth, even ahead of Jemima Ardvark, you probably got a lot of these because you'd probably be at the top. Armuth, Doug would be right at the top of most people's lists. Mm-hmm. Whereas Zachary Zizix probably did okay out of this yeah. because he was probably down the bottom. But, of course, what... What made this much worse than perhaps it might otherwise have been is a lot of people, particularly in countries uh, that speak Germanic languages that use Western Latin script, had an email group with a name such as All Users, <laughs> Alle Gebrekers, or whatever oh, it was, yeah. which of course was close to the top of the list. So Doug Armuth would get his email. Mm-hmm. Jemima Ardvark would get her email. All users would get their email. And of course, when any one of those got the email and opened it and triggered the macro and the virus launched again, then Doug Armuth would get his second copy and Ms. Ardvark would get hers and all users would get their, their next copy. And so it would go on. Another great trip down <laughs> bad memory lane. <laughs> All right. Well, our final story of the day here. Let's talk about this truly wild Cafe Press breach. I mean, this is, I, I could not get through this without audibly gasping several times. It's just a cacophony of errors. And perhaps worse than that, uh, the company is, or the, the website is Cafe Press. Some of our listeners may know it. It's one of many sites out there that let you do one-off merch. You know, so if, if you wanted a T-shirt with your name on it, you'd have to buy 500 anymore. And then so you've got one for yourself and 499 for all your friends for the rest of your natural life. You can just order one. At the time, it was owned and operated by a company with the peculiar name of Residual Pumpkin. Maybe they didn't pay enough attention to freshness uh, and then it then it then it shifted to a company called planet art so they're both in trouble and the one that actually owned it at the time this cafe press at the time will have to pay half a million dollars and basically the problem you can get an idea of how why the ftc the consumer rights people got involved in their their non-legalistic document, which is just their, you know, their their PR piece that said this is what we've done. Their press release is entitled "FTC takes action against Cafe Press for data breach cover-up." So it wasn't so much the data breach, bad as it was, that they were worried about. Because let's be honest, they 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 still have some sympathy for this company as the victim of a cybercrime. It was just the fact that there were so many other thumbs down and big red X's about the way the things they did before the breach, the things they did during the breach, and perhaps even more importantly, the things they did and did not do after the breach that just made a bad thing 10 times worse. Yeah, it's almost as if 
they either had no security expertise in the company or they just didn't care. And I don't know which one's worse because well, Cafe both. Press was the original, <laughs> the, the original site like this. They've been around a long time. Oh, and, yeah, very popular. So oh. this is a huge, huge, huge site. Just the breach itself, 20 million plain text email addresses, weekly hash passwords, millions of un- unencrypted names, physical addresses, and security question and answers, more than 180,000 unencrypted social security numbers. Wow. Tens of thousands That's of payment bad. cards, the last four digits of the card, plus the expiry date. Like, Because you're not even supposed to collect social security numbers in the U.S., are you? I think you have to for... Um, for payments and taxes so a system like this when oh, right. you sell ah, a bunch okay, of so shirts yeah they need your they need your tax info to report to the irs so oh i see so they, they didn't they, I, you would assume it would be encrypted you'd hope wouldn't you mm-hmm. but that means that if they know they're collecting this thing which is a kind of prized possession it's so intimately intertwined with your identity as an american resident isn't it um yeah so you know, you think by now people would know that it, while you're not supposed to have passwords stolen, there are some very simple standard ways that you store the passwords that mean that if someone does steal the database, it's not just a simple exercise to try and figure out what the passwords were. So you don't store them in plain text where they could just be read out. You don't store them just simply hashed with a single hash where they can be cracked you know, thousands an hour or hundreds of thousands an hour using a small array of fast computers. You use techniques that make the hashing fast enough for real-time use, but too slow for password recovery. I mean, when we have a we have a seminal article, Serious Security, How to Store Your Users' Passwords Safely, that we published on Naked Security, that I think we published that in 2014, about salting, hashing, and stretching. And I was conscious, even in 2014, that it seemed a little bit like we were a bit late to publishing the article. Like The time for people to have read that article was five years before that. So companies that aren't doing that now, there's, there kind of isn't an excuse. Particularly when your job and, you've, and your professed claims are trust us with your data, we'll look after it. But even worse, Doug, as you say, they had the password recovery questions. Oh, my. Which were in plain text. So that if you stole that database, you wouldn't know the person's password. But if they set a password recovery hint, you could figure out how to recover their password. So you didn't need to crack the password. You just did a password reset. When it asked you the big air quotes, difficult question, you just put the answer in. And even worse, <laughs> Here it after it was known that this plain text data was circulating for sale on the dark web, even after, like for some, so for some months after the breach was known, it just kind of went, oh, well, we'll encourage people to, to reset their passwords. But for, I think, several weeks after the plain text data was known to be for sale amongst crooks the company still allowed these plain text password recovery words to be used to recover passwords oh unreal now it seems that there was some analysis done in this case and it became obvious afterwards that there were there were things that they'd done like taken a very 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 
10-year-old approach to malware infections or maybe even 20-year-old. You know, back in the Melissa days, there were just so many of them and you knew roughly what the malware would do. It would just send more and more and more. So what you do is find them all and just delete the jolly things. And that was hard enough. These days, it doesn't work like that, does it? Yeah. When you have a malware infection, what that says is somebody was running code that could do things that you neither knew nor approved of. So, yes, you need to delete, identify and delete the malware, clean it up, get rid of it. But you also need to do a threat assessment and go, while the guys were using this malware, what did they do? And the typical things that crooks do when they're in is they set up accounts with admin privilege so they can get back in later. They change configuration settings. They open up back doors by running secret servers that they can connect to, all of this sort of stuff. And apparently in one case they had, and it, this was this was just one thing that was explicitly mentioned in the FTC's report. So I recommend you read this because if there's any sense in your mind of, oh, there but for the grace of God go I, it, it's, like a, it's like a warning list for things you might have missed. And one of the things that they did wrong is they had uh, a particular employee who had had I'm not, not blaming the employee here. This particular employee had a whole series of malware infections. So you kind of think, well, maybe we'll pay a bit more attention to that computer, to that person's accounts, to that person's configuration settings, to that person's network storage. It turned out that for months after they cleaned up all these multiple malware infections, that person's email was being forwarded to outside crooks. You know what we normally call business email compromise crime, right? So, in other words, they've got an inside track on what's going on. Like, how close are they to finding us, or when's a big invoice payment due, and all of that. And in another case, it seems that as a result of this breach, there were three occasions on which the crooks tried to divert uh, wage payments, salary payments to employees. So they tried to change the recipient account for payroll deposits. And basically, they tried to steal employees' wages, simply put. And apparently, well, the first time that happened, oh, well, we got away with it. The second time, oh, we got away. And they only, they only, they only thought to... Three maybe times. Should, even in baseball, you're out on the third strike, right? You, you, don't yeah. get a, you don't get, oh, then you get a fourth one. So you think they would have looked after the second, but you would have hoped they would have looked after the first. And um, uh, last that I'll mention now, but by no means least on the list of 10, is something that it's not the law, but as you can see, it's kind of expected by the regulator that you will do this. They just had no way that bona fide security researchers or even you know, overseas public service government bodies trying to alert you to something. They just had no way that anyone could find out who to contact. And as we've said on this podcast before, it's not that hard. Just put a file called security.txt in the root of your web server so somebody can go to your domain.example slash security.txt. Try it. Sophos.com forward slash security.txt. You will be in no doubt of three different ways that you can contact us for security reports if you really need to. And just to uh, nail the dismount, if I'm a an angry Cafe Press user and I went to cancel my account, <laughs> 
uh, charge a $25 cancellation fee after all this. I mean, come on. I suppose it's one way of making it clear that you that you know you, you definitely don't want to keep the person's business breach or no breach. No, yeah. You just wonder where that came from. I imagine it was just some clause or some automatic thing that had just been in the system for people who wanted to do an early cancellation or it was just a little bit like going to a restaurant and your food never arrives and eventually you go okay well we're leaving and they say oh, but you have to pay for your meal anyway <laughs> yeah, here's the, here's your tab yeah well yeah. we do oh, we do dear. have some advice but i would just say go and read the we article could do a whole do the, podcast yeah, on that do the one exact thing. opposite of uh, everything you read here there, there is a lot to learn from reading the report but but get some popcorn because oh, it's this wild. is a full length movie <laughs> it is wild with a okay. sequel or two. <laughs> so <laughs> that is uh, Web Vendor Cafe Press fined $500,000 for giving cybersecurity a low value. And that's on nakedsecurity.sophos.com. And as the sun begins to set on our episode for this week, let us hear from one of our readers. We recently discussed, if you recall, a new batch of Instagram scams. And as I was lamenting, the poor spelling and grammar sprinkled throughout these scammy email messages. Dave C. commented, in part, and I quote, As has been noted from time to time, most of the errors are likely to be intentional. They are there to weed out those recipients of the spam, like you and me, who are aware and observant enough to recognize the scam for what it is. People who, even if they make the initial click in a careless moment, are unlikely to follow through with the payoff of giving their real password. These are not the scammers' targets. Scammers only want to spend their time on the easiest marks, Targets who barely know how to operate their computer, who are innocent, gullible, credulous, or stupid enough to click on the email link and follow through to giving their password slash codes. And this is something I had not considered before. But Paul, you've actually seen this. You've heard of this before. I had never heard of this and I never thought of this. And I was like, oh, that, oh, that kind of makes sense. You mean all the bad grammar and all the typos and all the yeah. weird semicolons. It's mm -hmm. all deliberate. It's all cunningly planned. Yeah. Yeah. I, I've heard that about about spam, even entry level spamming for a decade or more. There was this school of thought for a while that yeah, it's all they do it on purpose, and I'm just not sure that I believe that. I think it you're getting perilously close to victim blaming there. I'm not convinced that there are any crooks that who deliberately make casual mistakes to weed out people. I get that some people afterwards must go, you know, what was I thinking? But to blame them on that account, I think is perhaps a little bit unfortunate. And it does sort of suggest that, oh, well, we can just give up because it's like pff, the devil take the hindmost. Why should we care? Whereas in fact, it could be our friends and our family who are the vulnerable people who are getting swept up in this. And so don't lose faith. Try and preach the good word about not letting your friends and family get into trouble online if you can. All right. Interesting discussion. And if you have an interesting story, comment, or question you'd like to submit, we'd love to read it on the podcast. You can email tips at sophos.com. You can comment on any one of our articles. Or you can hit us up on social at Naked Security. That's our show for today. Thanks very much for listening. For Paul Ducklin, I'm Doug Ameth, reminding you until next time to... Stay, Stay secure. secure.